From Carry the Load, these are Lessons from the Front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. The realm of military and first responders can be unavoidably violent and gory at times. And for every guest I've had on the show to this point, their role inside that community was tied to the physical moment of violence or some response to it. Greg Williams breaks from this norm as his focus is about using the science of human behaviors to avoid violence. Unfortunately, one must study violent acts in order to know how to avoid them. And like a martial art, you can't read about it and just claim to know it. In fact, Greg's had no formal training on the subject, and he honed his craft growing up on the streets of Detroit. Now, to that extent, I have to warn you that this is an extremely graphic episode. But the knowledge and the lessons I learned from sitting down with Greg were bountiful, almost biblical without being religious. In one instance, he applies the most basic of human needs to someone we came to call the girl with the blue hair. In another, he reminded me of the importance of showing my kids the proper behavior, because they will learn behavior from somewhere. Regardless of what you take away from this episode, if the psychology of killing, the science of human behavior, if this interests you at all, you'll want to listen all the way through. I would also recommend that you catch Greg and his business partner, Brian Marin on their Left of Greg podcast. As always, if this episode resonates with you at all, I would ask that you share it with just one person and please subscribe. These are stories that people need to hear for the integrity of our nation. I, I spent six years in the United States Army, and the folks that I was embedded with during the time I was part of cohort cohesive operational readiness training, uh, where you're supposed to stay with one station unit training and be together with folks for a good long time. And uh, I is that is that good. an army operation? It was an it was an army test, let's say, and and so uh, that test uh, plus my ASVAB scores and the fact that I kind of I I had a unique ability of uh, human behavior pattern recognition and, and analysis since I was a little kid. Uh, uh, came up in the family being able to sense when it was not good to go home, when it was not good to walk up on a car that was slowing down by the curb, when, uh, hey, those cops are probably coming back, we should split. And so the Army picked <laughs> up on that right away and was able to channel me into some uh, amazing opportunities to meet some very smart people to exploit that skill. So you never had any formal training never, growing not, up? Not till this day. So, so the funny thing about that is like uh, uh, Marty Seligman and, and Gary Klein and, and a lot of the other people that are the pioneers in this industry, and I consider myself a pioneer as well because I was doing all the limited objective experiments and I was outside the wire using it, yet I didn't have an academic setting to, to have a PhD background, right? And what I was sad about is most of the stuff that they were doing ended up on a shelf somewhere and I was out there doing it saying, yeah, Read your book, got it. This is how you do it. In your time in service, and you served in Army, several, several three-letter uh, agencies inside of the USA. What was your? Let's just say it like this: What was your worst day? I have these uh, a culmination of experiences between uh, military and my exposure as a copper and my exposure as a, a hood uh, that a lot revolves around life and death. I've seen a lot of death in my life. And most people would think that one of those experiences, like a, 
a shooting or a stabbing or a car wreck that was a fatality or a friend dying. Those aren't in my top 10. My, my top 10 are I'm very hard on me because I think I've got a lot left to give. Uh, and so I uh, am my own worst critic. I think many people are. And it's like, you're not doing enough today. Get out there. What are you doing? I was married for 10 years, had two kids, and had no idea uh, when my second daughter was born. Knew nothing of my wife at that time. So I, I had a tabula rasa. I had to start over. And, and again, what did I start accumulating? I got a lot of miles. Uh, I got a lot of airline miles. I got a lot of hotel miles. But I'm not real good at the family. So my daughter is a PhD in Auburn University. Uh, and uh, my son has nine jobs, and he's great. And his wife's a, a, a doctor. And everybody goes, oh, you got such a wonderful family. I was an absentee landlord uh, my entire career. So they grew up because of Shelly, because of my wife. And I sent checks and gifts and postcards. Uh, but I, I look back on those days. Did I do enough? And, and I feel sometimes that I fell short. You've seen people die. You've seen people die in horrible ways. Um, and all those things that most people, it's emblazoned in their mind. That's their top, you know, that would certainly be in their top 10. That wasn't even in your top 10. No, sir. Still isn't. And, and sadly, that's part of PTS as well because you repress certain memories. But the idea is I have a vivid recall of those memories, and I'm able to turn those into training uh, scenarios and, and opportunities for a tabletop exercise. And uh, you can't allow your emotional self uh, to attach to those things because the minute that you do, what happens is now you're in this, this internal battle, this internal struggle with that. So what I've become, uh, because there's certain things that trigger me now, and I'll just break down and start crying. But there's other parts that embolden me and allow me to go into a room of soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, coppers, first responders, and teach them a lesson about something. And I can vividly recall the exact incident. And they go, wow, that's got to be tough. I had to compartmentalize that. I mean, yeah. we, we've life is tough for everybody. That's, a, that's a very military um, mindset. Yes, sir. To, and, and I mean, obviously, our first responders do the same thing. They compartmentalize that stuff because that's the only way they can go home. Absolutely. But I, I'd love to hear an example of something like that that you <clears throat> witnessed that you're able to compartmentalize for personal emotional reasons. Right. But then you turned it into here's how others can benefit from from what happened yep. in front of me. So so Iraq and Afghanistan <clears throat> are two completely different environments. So Iraq, early Iraq, and then like nine months later, Iraq was a different Iraq. And then each time that I would deploy, it was a very different place. So one time we were embedded with the unit and we went into an area and it was an area where they were uh, using drills and knives and saws and beheading people and doing it on video. Uh, so when I got into the environment, they had it set up in a very specific way with flags and banners and a wheelchair and a floor drain. And it was not unlike being in a butcher shop uh, uh, downtown Detroit where they're uh, first bringing the animals off the truck, then they shoot them in the head, then they start hanging them and, you know, doing the blood. It was a vicious, horrific environment. And the people were fleeing as we were coming into the environment. And I remember at the moment that that was happening that I was the only one in the group that understood what this room was. And so I tried to educate everybody in the room. And uh, it was hard, and it's hard now to think back about that room, but it's become a profound lesson for anybody that comes through that, listen, just because there's a floor drain, just because there's hooks up here, you're not in a butcher shop anymore. This is a different environment, and you got a laser focus right now, or we're all going to die. 
those type of things happen to me more than it's like being a poop magnet. If there's something that's going to happen, it's going to happen right in front of me. And then I'm going to be able to take that and train others. But reconciling what I saw that day and the smells and the feels, I still have that now. It just hit me a minute ago. Uh, uh, so very hard, but I uh, uh, thank God for the opportunity to witness that so I can go tell somebody else what that felt like and what that looked like. So their first experience isn't so shocking that they fail. And that you can become overwhelmed by events and overcome by emotions, and now you're not being your best self. There's time for that, but now is not the time for that. Uh, and so we've dedicated, uh, Brian Marin and I, uh, uh, my wife Shelley, our small team, we've dedicated ourselves to make sure that uh, we're always honest, we're always truthful, and we're always real about what we saw, absolutely transparent about those events, because I think uh, that's what teachers do. That's what the, the, the best science teachers do and the math teachers is they expose you to these wonderful things, and all of a sudden you have this epiphany, and now you can be a different human. So we're teachers too. It's just on a, on a different wavelength. I've got two questions here. I want to yes, hear about you, but I, I want to hear about everybody else. When they realized what it was, can you describe that oh, yeah, moment absolutely. for them? So, so and, and understand, they had a mission. Their mission was that we were getting shot at and there was terrorists that were running away. And, and these, they were, these, were, these were military, correct? Yes, sir. And, and so that military unit, their job was to clear that building, to, to safeguard human life and specifically the other uh, Marines that were there. And uh, to catch those bad guys that were running away. And when you looked at it, it you got to imagine it was like, uh, I can't even think of the name of the old uh, store where you'd go up and you'd rent a videotape. And back, I'm old enough. To, yeah, yeah, blockbuster video. Yeah. So it, the front part looked kind of like a blockbuster video because there were these trays of videos and it was camera equipment. And again, it looked like a, a crappy uh, stage where one would make an adult uh, film, you know what I'm saying, and and uh, but then everything had this 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 feel and the blood and the, the the violence and there was weapons that are laying in the corner and makeshift RPGs to defend the place. So uh, that unit, uh, their job was to clear, and it was again very kinetic. They were tip of the spear. They were pushing through, and so I had the luxury of what we call time and distance. I was able to separate myself from that because I'm not an operator. I'm nowhere near an operator. I'm just a big bombastic guy that that loves humans and loves to teach. And so when I started putting it together, the breadcrumbs for me just fell together immediately. So they cleared, they pacified, I'm taking photos. They come back into the environment. And just like many other environments with snipers and IEDs, I was like, this plus this, what are we seeing here? And when we look back at that, and then you can So see, you were with them to teach them absolutely. the environments that they were walking into. The, the atmospheres, okay. the geographics, all of those things. And the idea is when you're training somebody— and you see that epiphany moment, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, scales fall from their eyes, and now they get it. The beauty of that is they'll never forget that experience. And you can only get that. Look, you can do a check-in-the-box training. You can do a laminated sheet. You can do some gosh darn video. But the idea is until you're in that moment, you feel it inside. And I'm not telling you you got to learn about a bullet-resistant vest by me shooting you in the chest. But I'm saying that you have to have uh, somebody to be your mentor and your guide and to hold your hand through some of these experiences because then you become so fidelity-filled and rich that you'll learn from them. If not, you come back and you get angry and you go to the bar and you only have friends that are vets and you don't talk about those uh, scenarios. It's important. It's cathartic to talk about those and get those out. Um, I remember one time we came back and it was MRAPs were quite new at the time. Not all MRAPs, but this type. It, uh, not everybody knows what an MRAP is. Okay, so, so 
uh, think of a big bank vault, bulletproof, that's on wheels, uh, mine-resistant, ambush-protective vehicle. And so I was arguing all the time because I got to get out on foot. That's where I'm best. I'm not best in a vehicle, you know, looking out a window. And uh, one time uh, there was an explosion, and then it was a sniper shooting. And again, I'm like, I'd like to go home, please. And nobody would let me go home. But I remember getting out of the doors, and the doors were like uh, a gosh darn arithmetic puzzle. I could not figure out how to do the two handles on the door, and I needed to get out. Uh, so when I got out, there was a gentleman's uh, face uh, that had been removed by the blast that was hanging uh, on the back where this radio tower spring thing is. And I remember taking a photo of that saying, that's going to be something that I can talk about in class. I didn't look at that and say there was a fellow human being that got blown the F up and now parts of them are here. What I did is I looked at that and said, here is a way that I will be able to connect with the class on, on what it feels like to be in that moment. So I still have uh, problems reconciling that, that I didn't, uh, I betrayed the emotional trust with a fellow human. But at the same token, that's, those, those are photos that would never come out of uh, a combat. Uh, in, in, in combat, you have this rule, uh, they, and they refer to it now as gore porn, G-O-R-E, and they say, oh, you can't show a combatant that was killed. You can't show this. You can't show that. Well, guess what? I, I worked for a different boss. So my boss sort of allowed those things, and I didn't exploit it. It wasn't exploitative. It was to show the human condition on the ground. So before you ever left the continental United States, you knew what you were getting into. Because yeah. if you didn't, that's like a big dose of reality all at once. And and sometimes it's too severe uh, to 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 yeah, reconcile. I remember, you know, when I went through, um, I think it was at the basic course. Um, we had classes like what you're talking about. Yes, sir. And there was a guy named uh, Doctor Death. I think his name was Doctor D Giovanni. Did you know who I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Actually, I do. Okay. So and and I remember seeing those pictures right. that you're talking about and and I'm sorry for you know for being so gory here but I remember seeing a flattened head from an RPG yep from Vietnam and somebody else saw it and just passed out and I mean like literally fell off their chair and these were just pictures um I remember at the time thinking that is horrible. But I also remember at the time thinking, this was kind of the, 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 the mental state that I was in. That's why we do what we do is to do our best to prevent that from yes, happening. Sir. Absolutely. And so when you talk, you know, I don't want to keep going back to the torture, um, but I, I'm really curious as to the emotional state of those guys. They're in the, I mean, they're, yeah. that's what they're there to do is to kill other people. Yes. Our, our soldiers, our Marines. So, so let me give you one, if I can. Let me fast forward to Afghanistan to compare. Okay. So we're in Afghanistan, and uh, of course they had bombs, but their bombs were very rudimentary at the beginning. They didn't learn a lot until the terrorists started sharing information from Iraq and saying these work much better. Uh, a lot of snipers and a few insider threats. So I was embedded with the U.S. Army sniper unit, and one of their personnel uh, got shot and— uh, didn't make it. So we had to carry their gear onto the UH-1D to go to another base. And I remember the young major that was their commander coming up and saying, don't come back. We don't need this. If my guys didn't go outside the wire, we wouldn't have taken a loss, uh, which I still to this day take personally. I remember the U.S. Army soldier taking his M4 
and he threw it, and he was in such a state of emotional distress that I went to go sit on, uh, next to him to talk to him. That's me. That's what I do. And he pointed his finger at me as if, you know, had I not been there, had we not been trying out this thing to save a lot of lives, uh, perhaps his buddy would still be alive. So, but you can't do that to a fellow human. Now, you can do that if you're a drunk driver. You know better. You get what I'm saying? If you're, mm-hmm. if you're playing around with a loaded weapon and somebody gets smoke-checked, well, you know better. But in that situation, it was almost as if, man, if you would have left us alone and we would have stayed inside our fob and we would have you know, uh, kept our, uh, uh, our drones up, that this wouldn't have happened. So everybody wants a talisman. They want a cross. They want a thing in their pocket that they rub uh, that makes them feel better in a combat zone. And when you see a highly trained, multidisciplined soldier or Marine break down in combat, after all their training and all their deployments, that'll stick with you the rest of your life. You really have to understand what that feels like. As we talked a minute ago about the, uh, uh, the, the civilian role <clears throat> and their appreciation for those who serve, what is their role? What is their responsibility to the people who go in harm's way, who experienced um, a couple of the things that you talked about yes, that will never leave their minds. Well, if you're going to take a knee, take a knee and take a moment and take a look at documents like uh, uh, the Constitution. Take a look at the amendments to the Constitution. Take a look at Supreme Court decisions. And if you shut up for just a minute and you listen to those words on the page and you read those words on the page, you'll understand we're not perfect, but by God, we're on the road to being perfect. And somebody's going to say, yeah, but I've been left out. And this person's going to say, yeah, but there's this argument that's in there. Listen, we formed this nation under the most brilliant ideal principles. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Then vote that person out of office. Uh, Do coppers make mistakes every single day? But so does the 7-Eleven clerk and so does a librarian. The idea is let's not be so hard on each other. Let's take a step back and try to put myself in your shoes and understand the context within which you're making those decisions. So we have to re-engage with humans because the human-to-human contact, like like you talked about Maslow and the Maslowites, well, that works great in that classroom, but what about coming out into a village and a town and a city? Dallas is huge and it's diverse and you should embrace that diversity. You should go across the street when you don't understand what's going on and ask the person, what's your gig? Love the blue hair, what's the blue hair about? If we do that, we'll love each other a lot more and stop killing each other. Uh, take a look at a school shooter. A school shooter feels disenfranchised. They feel like a loner. They feel like an incel. I was an incel, okay? I, I couldn't date in high school if I would have had a gun. The idea is, though, I didn't cross the street and then start shooting my schoolmates. The idea is those people abound in society. Yeah, they're a very small portion of it, but we have to address their needs, too. So when I take a look at a citizen, your job to be a citizen is tough. You got to uh, follow a legal, moral, and ethical lifestyle. You have to set the example for our young. You have to be a part of your community. And if you're not willing to do that, there's plenty of other islands that are out there. Pangea, go look, uh, because America uh, uh, should should espouse those principles and be proud of those principles. And if you're not happy with Congress or the Senate, don't go blow yourself up in a marketplace. Vote them out. And 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 if you're a smart person, vote yourself in, or or at least run for an office. We lost that. We we. We sometimes lose sight, and America isn't like anything else. Yeah, this is a cycle. It'll come back. Uh, But but right now, we're in one of those uh, naders. We're in a low spot 
where we're looking at each other and everybody's looking with that jaundiced, skeptical eye. Stop it. Yeah, there's something you said really, really, I, I liked it. It triggered. And and that was the the girl with the blue hair. Yes. Um, which I think I just found a name for this episode. Um, but I, I love... I like the way you think, by the way. <laughs> I love the fact that you said the natural reaction for yep. nine out of ten people is to go, what the heck? I mean, yep. why does she have blue hair? You are that one that walks over and says, tell me about your blue hair. Anybody that knows me, anybody that's listening to your podcast knows exactly that. Hey, what's the significance of that tattoo? Where did you get that ink? I noticed that your glasses are different. Have they been handed down from a member of your family? Or what's the message you're trying to send? I mean, that's me. If you follow me around, I can't imagine how Brian Marin puts up with me because I never follow a straight path from here to the car. It's always bouncing around and finding what people's story is because that fascinates me. But that's no different than Iraq or Afghanistan or Yemen or the, the kingdom or any of the other places I played. I was lucky enough to be in 53 countries. And when I hit the ground in the country, if I don't have a Terp translator, I go over and I start hand jamming the language until I get to, to meet somebody because I want to open their skull metaphorically, of course, been there too, but I want to open their skull and I want to dance around in their shoes for a while and find out exactly what their life is about. For those who are coming home from war, they are scarred emotionally, they are scarred physically, psychologically. What is our job as a civilian nation in support of what they did? And it's very similar to Carry the Load's mission. Yes, it is. I mean, I I think it is, but I want to hear... Listen... I'll give you one. Uh, so you know what jerseys and Hescos are. They're the huge barriers that separate uh, forces on the ground and create a, a fortress wherever you go. And so the the uh, Hescos are Hess Company, uh, big lined, let's say, cyclone fences that are in rectangles that are filled with dirt and rocks, and then they build a wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, gotcha, and then the gotcha. jerseys are the, the tea barriers made out of cement that stop the vehicles yes. from getting through. So I'm laying up on top of a HESCO, and uh, so I've got my Roche on, and a guy says, hey, do you want to talk? they got a SATCOM downlink. You want to call back home? And I'm like, I have no idea what, it, what its time is back home, but, yeah, I'd love to talk to my wife. And as I was laying back up looking at the stars in one of the most beautiful places in the world, uh, some Scud missiles were coming in, and uh, these missiles— Which right away this, you're safe because they're Scuds. <laughs> oh, yeah. But these missiles had this solid-fuel booster that looked like a yellow marker, like a highlighter. And they were starting and stopping and starting and stopping, and then some sirens started on a base. And I looked at this young E6 that was next to me. I go, hey, what's with this? And he goes, oh, there's some missiles. We probably want to take cover. So for every time that you're eating a pizza that you ordered that somebody delivered, and you're watching a game on a TV that you bought at a local store— I want you to remember that that person's deployed. They didn't have all of those luxuries that you now enjoy. And just putting that in perspective, one time a day or one time a week or next time you're at a store, don't be so in a hurry to judge when you don't understand the specific context of somebody else's life. Which can, go, which can go in every direction. It can. It really but, can. But when you talked about, you know, you, you walk around with this, you know, this cup yep. that, that that's just permeating half, half broken cup. I'm holding it together. You know, right. I'm afraid and so, I'm going to drop it. And so in his book, he talked about the, the emotional buckets that yes, we sir. pour back and forth. And, you know, I'm curious as to the human nature side of things, yeah. if, you know, so, you know, we, we've got the, the wonderful and talented Brian Marin here with us, Absolutely um, who did experience combat in a yep. very different way for him to take his, his emotional bucket, 
and pour it into another veteran's bucket. At some point, the bucket's full. Are, are, are we okay as civilians to say, you know, Brian, tell me about what's in your bucket. Yes. Pour absolutely. some of yours into mine. Vulnerability is what God, Buddha, Vishnu, Allah put in us so we could be open and transparent with other humans. That's why we have mirror neurons. That's why our brain's chemistry is set up so we can understand people even from a different uh, race, religion, or culture. Because at the end of the day, none of that matters. That's like somebody searching for an answer. And so what they do is they go on uh, LinkedIn or a website and they find somebody that's got a good platitude that was written by somebody else. I don't want to read their platitude. I want to know yours. What's your life about? What do you do today? What what uh, uh, gives you trepidation? What, what, what harms you? And so Marin... Uh, cracked the code early on. That's why we're still, uh, I hope, such good friends and, and together. And I don't know after this broadcast. But the idea is that uh, Brian is vulnerable everywhere he goes. He doesn't stand up and say, hey, I can outrun you, bench press, this, that, the other. You know, I'm a fighter, not a lover. Uh, that bravado that we all get is a shell. It's like an eggshell. And, and the problem is that the eggshell is really fragile, even though we think it's very strong. But imagine what you can do once you open that eggshell. How many how many recipes are there for an egg? You know, they say the chef's hat, all the folds in the chef's hat represent everything that you can do with an egg. And there's 131 recipes or something you can do with an egg. That's humans. Man, humans are the most amazing thing on earth. Every love story, every love song, every bad thing, every uh, good or bad thing in life is made on humans, not on a machine. You don't see an ode to a computer. So the idea is if you don't get off of your high horse and walk across the street and shake somebody's hand and thank them for their service and find out what their story is, a, a veteran wants to tell you. Most people want their say, not their way. So allow them that opportunity. And if they tell you, go stick it, then there's another person there. That's a good thing about having, you know, a uh, hundred million people in, in the in the borders of where you live is there's always somebody that's going to want to talk to you. The human condition is so flipping amazing that all you got to do is find, and I'll tell you, if you don't find out, and this is not a threat or a scare tactic, but if you don't find out about your neighbor, one day your neighbor is going to burn down their house and show up at work and kill all their coworkers. And people are going to go, wow, I never expected that. Yeah, because you didn't know him. You didn't know her. You didn't know that kid. Go because out you there. didn't take the time to exactly. ask them what, about How were you so busy? What, like, because we all like to talk about ourselves yes, in sir. some form or fashion. Now, that even, even the most humble people, I yes, think, sir. Still like to, and that's a relatedness issue. And I mean, that, that's Absolutely. that tribal issue. Um, and so just, I, I, I again, the, the girl with the blue hair, and I don't know if she's real, yeah, she, but she is in my yep. mind now. Yep. So, so we had a guy, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, there was an actor that was on the beach when we were training at 3rd Marine Hawaii. And before the embed, we saw him. And so Shelly and I walked over to talk to him. And there was a guy behind him that came up and said, hey, uh, uh, I will get any tattoo on my body as long as you pay for it. Doesn't matter what it is. And he showed us all the different tattoos that he had. What he was exposing was the fact that he didn't have another opening line. That was his. But what an amazing illustrated philosophy to go through life and say, hey, my opening line is if you pay for it, I'll get a tattoo. And then later that night, we took him to the Dropkick Murphys concert, and he ends up still being a Marine and a friend that, I, that I've known for a long time. Dropkick Murphys, We talk about too. him all the time. Uh, why? Because he's so unique. Everybody in life is a unique little snowflake. It's like that Fabergé egg, and you look inside of it at Christmas and see the little village in there. So unpack that stuff, because if we do, if not, you're angry all the time. You know, I asked you about your worst day, yes, but, sir. but I, I want to know, 
you know, in all of your service to this country, and again, the uniform was a very short period of time, but your Correct. service to the country has been much, much greater. Yes, sir. Um, I want to hear about if you have to, to like encapsulate the reward that you personally feel, the good that you feel like you've done, if you could encapsulate that in one day, in one instance, could you do that? Absolutely not. I mean, do do, do do the do the best job yeah. you can to come up with that that one story, that one day where you go, "Wow, I'm on to something here. We're we, making a difference." We had, and, and sadly, it's going to be a, a homicide scene. We had a situation where on midnights, uh, Shelly and I met to do a window drop. She's a copper, the best copper I ever met, best human behavior profiler, and it was either I'm going to marry her or kill her. Uh, so so Shelly was a cop. Shelly was a copper, and she was a copper on the streets in the absolute worst district during the worst time to be a cop back then. And uh, we met, and there was a homicide. There was a, a female that had been brutalized and, and left on the ground. And I remember that working with her, the best human behavior profiler, and working with the team, we were able to bring the three people that did that to justice before the sun set. So before the sun rose, we found the body, and before the sun set, uh, we were able to bring those miscreants to the, the jail cell. And something like that feels really good because a lot of people go through their entire life, and the high point of their life is that they won the you know, best pie at the bake sale. And God bless you. That's absolutely wonderful. Uh, but being able to save a life uh, when your destiny was to take a bunch of lives, uh, being hired to target humans, and now being able to teach how to find uh, uh, the commonality in humans so you can break down barriers, that's it. I mean, I got, I got the best life in the world. You never have to ask me about motivated. You never have to ask me to show up early for something. Uh, I have the most amazing life, and I get to meet incredible people all day. So that would be that would be mine. Being able to solve a, a big, tough problem uh, just makes my day. Take take me through that. So I mean, you know, what what happens in a day like that? You get a phone call. No, no. Sometimes <clears throat> you come upon it. So so it, it it's not unlike uh, 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 going to Iraq and saying. Okay, we need to draw this bomb maker out. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that shoebox and we're going to put it on that telephone pole and we're going to duct tape it so it looks like a camera. And we're going to see who comes out to try to destroy the camera. Then we're going to round one of those folks up and go, hey, uh, where is the house that you go to where you buy the ammo? And then set up on that place and do some surveillance. And then that leads you to, hey, where did you get that, that command wire? And that looks a lot like this. And so, you know, uh, uh, there was one that was along the Tigris and Euphrates where they were using uh, fly fishing gear uh, from Orvis for a low metallic signature uh, pressure plate. I love that one, too, because I get to dig in. Okay, who's ordering from Orvis? Well, what phone call, and where do you think that came from? To me, uh, 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 the rich tapestry of life is solving. I don't know how to do Sudoku. I can't add. I'm from Detroit. Uh, but, but when it comes to putting, like, a puzzle together, man, I'm puzzle king. Uh, so those, to me, those little pieces – uh, and I don't do the old puzzle, you know, like my, my uh, Uncle Paul used to sand off the edges so they would fit to make them fit. <laughs> That's not me. I don't take any uh, uh, shortcuts. And uh, never been stumped. Love that I'm not stumped. Um, and it's okay to operate in an environment where there's danger. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, look, everybody in our life, a person that works at Baskin Robbins is uh, in some sort of anxiety and stress. And we got to st stop looking at the division between people and start looking at the similarities. So I, I've got a blessed existence. i got a great job, and people still call me to solve problems. 
What else could I ask? Well, and I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy because I want to know about that day because people people like to hear a good story. Okay. Okay. So what what happened in Detroit yep. when you come across that? that... So I, I, I have to be careful on, on what I say, obviously, Understood. because there's family members on both sides of the issue. And certainly the, the people are still in jail uh, and won't get out. A uh, young lady uh, was down on her luck. Um, and so she turned uh, to uh, prostitution to make ends meet. Uh, these three kids from the suburbs uh, picked her up. Uh, they knew that they didn't have the money. She objected, uh, so they beat her to death. Uh, they thought that killing a human being was easier than it was. Uh, she wasn't dead, and they didn't want to leave a witness. So then they went back and broke a couple of the beer bottles they were drinking, and they stabbed her viciously. That didn't kill her uh, because human beings are resilient. So then they got into the car, and they drove over her head a number of times, and finally that worked. So putting the situation together, and I knew the female based on her tattoos. I had a rich, uh, uh, robust list of how to identify people if they were unidentifiable. I learned that early in my career, so she had a very distinctive tattoo. I I looked at the tattoo. I looked at the clothing. I put two and two together and who she was, where they likely picked her up. We returned to that area because most people geographically like to operate in an area they're familiar with, right? Uh, So even serial killers, they go back to a fishing ground to where they're, they're comfortable in operating. They kind of know the lay of the land. Uh, the first place that you think of going is a place where you want to wash a car. So here, before the sun comes up, are these guys on the high-pressure hoses trying to clean out the teeth and the brain matter and things that uh, were in the undercarriage of the car. Uh, so that's only part of the investigation. Now you've narrowed it in on these uh, people. Now what you have to have is you've got to construct artifacts and evidence to support these reasonable conclusions that you can have that are so solid that a court and and a bench trial or a jury trial will go, okay, you got me. Then you try to break people down by psychological manipulation to get them to confess. Nobody wants to confess. But but my history is if you're honest with them and open with them and say, hey, people want your story, they'll tell you. Uh, so now you've got the individuals. You've got to talk to them. You've got to separate them. And then everybody says, oh, I'm not going to talk. And the minute you get them in the interview room, they go, it was Billy and Tommy. And they start telling you everything. And then you've got to go do the notification for the family. And then uh, you've got to understand a caper like that, even though it was great because within 12 hours we've got it solved, uh, it's going to take two years to bring those folks to justice, you know, a series of hearings and evidentiary challenges and all those other things. So nothing is solved in an hour like it is on television. This ain't NCIS, you know? Well, and in the, in the family of the deceased. Oh, it's so hard. I, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about it now because I know that you're a very popular show, and if somebody hits that one and remembers that, I, I, I can tell you, one, that I came in on the homicide scene, and the woman was beheaded, and the kids were sitting there watching cartoons, having breakfast, and they were blood-stained kids because they all went up to hug mom. Those things will stick with you the rest of your life. And I, I know her name. That was 40 years ago. And I could tell your name and the name of her kids right now. And I, I'm not going to do that. But you get what I mean? I mean, that, that rewires your, 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 the schism in your brain will last the rest of your life. And when people ask about PTS, I get it. You know, been there. I, I totally get it. And I think that's sometimes why vets allow me uh, into their private club because they know I'm not – I, I hope they know I'm not a poser. So I'm going to ask you a very philosophical question. Are people inherently evil and we just go to a societal fallback of we want to be good and society won't let us be evil all the time or is it the other way around? 
So my brother Brian could make Legos and put Legos together to be the space station and the orbiter and the Sputnik and all that other stuff. My brother Jeff would eat the Legos, and I would put things together that all looked like guns or knives or swords. I think we manifested through Legos what our inner turmoil was, right? And Jeff's going to hate me, but that's the truth. So the idea is that no human is born evil. What happens is people take shortcuts in life, and some people want immediate gratification for all of their senses. And once you allow the electrochemical, neurochemical reaction in your brain to allow the fact, like like Jeffrey Dahmer uh, tasted human flesh, you can't unring that bell. Do you get what I'm saying? Nobody's yes. going to go to church and uh, apologize for that and say, save me. What happens is there's always a path. And, and, and so w- when you're taking a look at that path and you stay in a path of good, even shoplifting, which you can come back from, uh, or, and then smoking when you're a teenager, those are all the challenges. God loves giving you challenges in your life. And, and what happens is you have to either embrace that and, and, and learn from it uh, or that scar tissue is going to build up, and after a while, it becomes easier being a bad guy. It's easy. Nobody's going to want to listen to this last part, this next part. But I'll tell you right now, it's easy being a crackhead, okay? Because you know what you do? You go from smoking the glass to smoking the glass over and over, and everything about your life comes down to that. Well, I'm going to steal mom's TV. Well, mom won't let me in the house anymore, so I'm going to steal those hubcaps. Well, that's not going to happen. And people are saying, oh, yes, it's an addiction. Yeah, but it's an addiction you walked into freely. Nobody forced you and held you down and did that to you. So if you don't learn early on that you have to get out of that cycle, that cycle will own you. And, and I see people that are owned by that every day. Uh, Dallas is no different. You see poor people that are on the street, and, and you wonder, how did they get there? Well, don't just drive by every day and ask that. Pull over one time and find out how they got there. And if they want to get out, give them a hand up. Don't give them a handout. Stop giving handouts, but give them a hand up. And if that person wants to be redeemed, then, then they will be. But, but evil, pure evil, comes from a, a person being left alone to their own devices too long without a neighbor checking on them, and they find out it's easy to be evil. I th- it's just mm. world according to Greg. I, I'm, I'm wrong as much as I'm right, I'm sure. No, I, I, I don't know that there is a right and a wrong to this because right. I, how do you prove something like that? I mean, you know, I, I, I asked a similar question of somebody, and, and their answer was, you know that that it, it's kind of like water. Water's going to find the easiest way. Absolutely agree. And and I, and I love that metaphor. And that's that's why sometimes I think people do bad things because that you know as you pointed out that's easier than doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, well listen, uh, misbehavior <clears throat> is behavior nonetheless. And if that forces you to pay attention to me, if that's the legacy I want, then I'm willing to go down there. And that's the problem is some people are willing to go down that. So you know. Uh, there were people, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marine in combat zones that did unspeakable horrors. Why? Because they had a, a clean slate. Nobody knew that they were going to be there, and they it didn't have – remember the old angel and devil on the shoulder? Oh, yeah. To tell you to straighten up? I do that all the time. And I'm always thinking about that. And I'm, no, no, don't do it. And then, no, yes, nobody will know that you're doing it. Everybody knows. And, and you have to go through life being kind and being smart and being happy and continuously educating yourself and being open to your fellow human. You have to. So the story you told a little bit ago um, that was you found the positive in that day. Someone's life was taken. Other other people's, though, um, they were not allowed to get away with it. Yes. What, for those who 
thank God we'll never have to, to come across something like that. Um, you also talked about, you know, a son and a daughter, and maybe you're on the path to, to grandkids too. Yes, sir. What is the lesson that you take from something like that and impart to those who are fortunate enough to never have to, to see something like that? It, so uh, uh, that's a great thing. And yes, I have uh, grandkids and they're in their twenties. Uh, that's how old <laughs> I am. I'm old enough to know better. You look good. Yeah. Thank you. I, I really do. Actually. I, I have a mirror. I know. No, the, the, the thing is, that when I take a look at my kids and other people's kids and and uh, obviously Brian's kids and uh, my thing is you, everybody uh, thinks, oh, the kids are the future. Yeah, they are. So everybody says, well, you don't want to share certain things with kids until they get to a certain age. They have to understand what their role in life is. And you've got to mentor them. You've got to show them uh, what right looks like every day. Because if you don't, they're going to learn it somewhere else. And if they learn it somewhere else, like I did growing up on the streets, you know, I, I mean, I think back to 50 years ago and the choices that I made. And I, I could be in Dehoko, Detroit House of Corrections today, uh, looking out, going, yeah, you don't understand me. Uh, but I'm not. I'm here with you having this incredible conversation and beautiful cold, by the way, Dallas, uh, on a clear, crisp morning. Uh, so you got to tell the kids that. You got to tell them your action or, or, or inaction is going to uh, direct the rest of your life. You're ability to blend in and get in and get into a scrum with other people and enjoy their brain is going to be a really good thing or it's going to be a bad thing. You know, uh, don't be afraid of, uh, what's that? I hate metaphors, but there's one that was a good one that somebody misused the other day that said, uh, you only miss the shots you don't take or something like that. And it's like, I don't understand what they meant. But yeah, you, you miss 100% of the shots yeah, that you that don't one. take. Yeah, Cause see, that's why I hate metaphors because I never get those things, you know, but, but the idea is that, if you don't ask, if you don't go up, if you don't volunteer, if you don't get out of the basement and go be on your own, you're never going to enjoy life. Get out life of your is amazing. Zone. You gotta, you gotta get out of your comfort. Brian says, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes, uh, uh, and, but he means it. He lives that. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. he, he doesn't have that uh, macrame on his wall. Uh, uh, Brian does that every day, and I, I look up to him for that, and I, I look up to Shelley for that. So I just only hope that the legacy I leave is a legacy of love and understanding. In transparency and openness, I love that. That's the, and it, and it's uh, it, it actually translates to something that I just sat down with my daughter about last night, and I drew two circles, and I said, "Here's the comfort zone. Here's the growth zone. They don't cross." That's it. Now nah, that's right on, spot on. As you know, carry the load is about restoring the true meaning of Memorial Day. Yes, sir. It's about honoring those who never got to take off the uniform. <clears throat> is there anyone that whose memory you carry, who is no longer able to be here with us today? And, and, and that's such a hard question because, and again, I'm, I'm not a representative sample of a good veteran uh, because I've made mistakes in my life. But I think of my dad and, and I think of what he left on a battlefield. He got blown up real good. I think of my Uncle Paul, who was uh, in World War II during the reconstruction of Germany, and he lost so much. Um, and then I, I got to think of the, the team of Pashuti and the snipers where uh, Juba, the sniper of Baghdad, took so many young lives. And I think of those crews that we went into uh, uh, to fix that situation. And, and so uh, an individual name is not as much as a time period to me. And I'm, I'm afraid that that's not the answer you're looking for. But I would have to give you that, that, that at earlier Iraq, when all lessons were learned in blood, Anybody that died during that period, uh, mm. that's who I'm carrying every day. 
Mm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Greg, this has been a <clears throat> this has been a fun conversation. Yeah, it's been a hard one. <clears throat> well, we're both tearing up I, right now. I, I did my best to uh, to Oprah this, so uh, so there you go. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. And again, folks, I, I'm I'm nothing, but if I can get to where I did in life, you can too. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lessons from the Front. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe. And please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.